You're listening to Radio Influence. You are sitting ringside with David Penzer on Radio Influence. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Sitting Ringside. My name is David Penzer. We are so happy that you are here this week once again to hear this thing we call a podcast. Do I have a treat for you? Uh, you know, we've had the, uh, the Hall of Famers and we've had uh, the, the legends and we're going to keep continuing. And not that this guy's not a legend uh, who's going to be our guest, who's going to join us in just a moment. But, um, you know, he, I call him a journeyman wrestler. Uh, I mean, no disrespect when I say that. Some guys take it the wrong way. I hope he doesn't. Uh, somebody who worked the territories and, and was able to make a living in, you know, 10, 12, 15 different territories in his career. He's gone on to uh, become a trainer to the stars, so to speak. Trained everybody involved in training Brock Lesnar and, and Cena and Randy Orton and Roman Reigns and, you know, as the head trainer of OVW for so long. So, um Want to get his take on the business? Want to t- t- him to tell his story? And 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 the, well, the reason I'm so excited is because you know we always talk about this is you know I try to make this an opportunity to you know be like two guys riding down the road in a car talking about their career, telling stories, and give you that insight. And this guy is the epitome of what this business was in the '70s and early '80s, uh, and late '80s for that matter, and early '90s for that matter. Uh, if you if you if you're not a uh, fan of the f bomb, then uh, you're probably not going to enjoy this episode. And I apologize in advance. Uh, he's not politically correct and proud of it, uh, but he talks like everybody or most people or a lot of people talked in the wrestling business back in the seventies, eighties, and early nineties uh, before the world became more politically correct. And um, he's still living that life, and uh, he's he 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 doesn't apologize for it. And so the conversation that you're going to hear is uh, two old friends talking the wrestling business, telling stories, and uh, like 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 in the old days, like when I first broke in. And people ask me why I, I don't get angry very often or hardly ever. Uh, people try to upset me, you know. As a, you know, like the real the the broker who I work for, the realtor, you know, him and his uh, assistant will mess with me, and I never get angry. About the only thing you could do to piss me off is treat my kids bad. Uh, because uh, I lived exactly what you're about to hear for the next hour plus. I lived uh, every week and then every day of my life for a long time. And uh, so this is not only insight into the career uh, of Hustler Rip Rogers, who's going to be our guest, but uh, insight into how the business was in a different time, in a different era. And, uh, and I hope you enjoy it. It's a little insight into, a little peek into uh years gone by where things were different. So I want to remind you guys to uh, follow me on Twitter at David Penzer at Penzer ringside. Uh, If you want to email me, David Penzer at radioinfluence.com. If you like the podcast, be sure to subscribe. Be sure to leave a review if you can on your platform and be sure to spread the word. Uh, We are nothing without uh, you good folks who support us. And I, Appreciate it from the bottom of my heart. And uh, we're going to keep on rocking and rolling. We're closing in on one year of this crazy podcast industry, this crazy podcast business. I had no idea what I was getting into, but I'm having a blast doing it. So uh, we appreciate all your support. 
And uh, without further ado, we'd like to bring on the one, the only, and there is no one else like him, ladies and gentlemen, Hustler Rip Rogers. We want to welcome journeyman wrestler, and I don't say that in a bad way. And uh, Sure you did. Sure you fucking no, did. No, I did. Here we, you're, here you're we go. The, from no, the, no, no, no. You don't fucking start that shit off and say something <laughs> like that. Fuck you. Oh, am I allowed to cuss on this son of bitches, this motherfucker PG? No, you're allowed to cuss. And, uh, and, but, but I was going to say, and trainer to the stars of professional wrestling. No, 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 no. You already got your fucking little semi fucking dig in. It wasn't a dig. I said that I had, hold on. I had Ricky, I had Ricky Santana on, uh, 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 earlier in the year. And I said the same thing for him and he took that as a compliment. So I thought you'd take it as a compliment. We can redo, we can redo it if you want. Why? No, leave it on there. It's fucking better that way. Oh, well, no, I'm gonna get shit because, up. And- because because you 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 worked in a lot of places. You went on. You were in a lot of territories. And uh, well, it's called it's called it's called a being a fucking pro, not a guy that's fucking homestead somewhere because he can't because he's fucking married to because he, he's married knows some he's married to somebody fucking knows somebody fucking homestead somewhere because he don't want to make no money or they can make him the fucking champion or something like or he wants to stay his whole fucking life and. God damn, I'm sick of a fucking place. The year gets fucking real. Well, I would I would say that your definition of, of journeyman then and my definition of journeyman is two totally different things because that's not what I, when and I meant no disrespect by that, and that's not what I consider a journeyman wrestler. I consider a journeyman wrestler somebody who was successful in the territory days that was able to go to every territory and, and, and work and have a spot and make money. So uh, I, I didn't, I didn't uh, have the same definition, but I do apologize. And, uh, but yeah, you are allowed to cuss, so uh, feel free. We got off on the right foot. Hey, Rip, great to have you. I didn't even know if I got to introduce you. <laughs> and trainer to the stars, hustler Rip Rogers. Welcome to City Ringside, Rip. Long time, uh, no talk. I haven't seen you in a while, but uh, uh, always a character. And uh, I, I, I really wanted to interview you because I think uh, your career is a lot of fun and, and uh, certainly uh, want to talk to you about training some of the top guys in the business now. But I want to start out at the beginning. I know you grew up in Seymour, Indiana. Um, was that a Dick the Bru- uh, Bruiser territory or was that the Sheik's territory? Well, okay. That's a good question. Uh, now, years ago, this was before cable TV, so you had your little fucking uh, TVs and you had to rotate the fucking antenna gimmick. Yeah, I got so, it. I'm, I'm, fif- I'm 52, I remember. Okay. So I'm, uh, I live in Seymour, which is an hour from Indianapolis. Now, Indianapolis is Dick the Bruiser Channel 4 area. So I watched him every week. But then I got the Louisville wrestling on uh, uh, it was on Channel Forty One or Channel Thirty Two, which was Nick Goulas. So I got his wrestling out of Louisville. Then I could uh, uh, get the Sheik's wrestling uh, because he had TV in Cincinnati. So I could put them goddamn rabbit ears or antenna towards the fucking east, and I can get the fucking Sheik. Then late, late night on a Saturday night, I could get Buzz Benson's All Star Wrestling out of Paducah, Kentucky. That's what I've never so heard was, of. Okay, so then I could I could actually watch four fucking programs. Then I could see all these goddamn stars I'd see in the fucking magazines. They all did TV different. They all had a very different fucking style. And you could just see what a fucking cool thing uh, pro fucking wrestling was. That's awesome because that's sort of like pro wrestling this week before it, it existed. Because uh, when I grew up in Fort Lauderdale, 
You just saw championship wrestling from Florida. That's all there was. When I, I've told the story before, when I got turned on to wrestling magazines, I was shocked that there was anything other. You know, I'm, I'm 12, but I was shocked that there was anything yeah. other than championship wrestling from Florida. You know, 12 year old doesn't think about the fact that uh, you know there's a whole big uh, world out there, and you know this can't be the only place that they have wrestling. I just thought that was what it was, but uh, but yeah, but that's cool that you got to see what. Which was your favorite? Because uh, I know each territory is a little different. Which was your favorite? Well, I'm going to interrupt you right now because you're from Fort Lauderdale, and I was just there about uh, right before you had your big thing in Tampa, right, with Bob Roop. Steve Kern, et cetera, blah, 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 and all that big, that great thing you guys did. The the Friday before, I was with the South Florida Smarks at Fort Lauderdale. They had me in, so I was there telling stories and eating at this uh, uh, Brazilian fucking steakhouse there. So I'm telling stories for two and a half hours and eating, and I had a hell of a time there. Then the next night, they was going on to down in... Uh, was it Tampa or around there or whatever? And, and you guys are going to talk about the thing with uh, Fonzie, Bob Roop, uh, Steve Kern, et cetera, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. So it, that, that was, I didn't know that, that you were cool. in the area until, uh, until like the day before my partner, Barry Rose, told me, hey, you know, if. Uh, oh, yeah. If, okay. uh, if uh, he told me, hey, if, you know, for some reason we, we got we got to have a no show, Rip Rogers is in uh, Lauderdale tonight. That was Friday night. I said, well, when did we, you know, we should have booked him. And he's like, well, I just found out a couple of days ago. I guess they do a, uh, I guess they do a, a dinner there. Uh, that, uh, yeah. so, so that's cool. So which was, so which was your favorite style? Was it uh Louisville, the Dick, the bruiser, Indiana, the Sheik, or the, well, the outlaw? I, I was a big, uh, Dick, the bruiser fan because I'd watched him for years. You know what I mean? And then, uh, and they would televise, the, the expo center. They would just televise the house show basically. And you get a little, uh, uh, peak of bruiser beating up a star or whatever. Sure. And then, uh, cause the, the sheiks, I didn't understand it. So I understand how to rotate the antenna and everything. And it was the old black and white TV and it was fuzzy. So it, it was, a, it was a different thing. And then I had Jarrett's wrestling, which is mostly the studio wrestling, but that some bitch is crazy because they had, uh, now, uh, Bruiser booked Northern style, so he'd had he'd have a show about every three weeks to a month at the Expo Center in Indianapolis. And, and here I was the same thing. Well, hell, this is the World Championship because it says so. In the Sheik's United States Champion because it says so. And then they had so many goddamn belts down in fucking Louisville. <laughs> and I watched that fucking uh, uh, the fucking Carney Southern style booking because they're they're there every week, right? Wrestling. There's thousands of people being going there. And they're just wilder than shit. Every fucking match is a fucking uh, a Texas death match, a lumberjack match, a Russian torture match, a fucking uh, tag team extravaganza. Everything's a fucking, uh, it looks like fucking WrestleMania every fucking week. It's all just tweaked a little bit. So the Kentucky was, uh, when you watch that uh, Southern style wrestling, it was so fucking exciting because Bruiser was like boring because they'd have straight wrestling. All of a sudden they'd have like one, attraction like at the end and you never get to see my you might open up or oh my god we're running out of time jesus christ you should have come here earlier blah 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 motherfucker right so (laughs) (laughs) sort of like in later years like in the late 80s the difference between uh crockett's nwa and vince's wwf where uh southern style was uh more high flying more fast-paced and uh and more competitive and the uh 
and the northern style was more squash matches and uh, and big men. But um, so there was a, back in the day there wasn't a wrestling school on every corner, so uh, you had all these choices. Who'd you end up breaking in with? Fuck, uh, you know I never went to a wrestling school. It's like uh, when I was I, I was teaching high or I was teaching. I was a rookie teacher and playing football, and I was a couple of years before that I had uh, wrote a letter of Vern Gagne. And Vern Gagne had wrote me back. And this is when Ricky Steamboat was in, uh, had just graduated, uh, Buddy Rose, et cetera. And he had just had a class and he was going to let me in the next year, which I should have done that. Sure. Because if I'd have made it, if I'd have made it through that, I'd have been really trained good. But I was like every other goof today. I just wanted to get my feet in there. So I bullshit my way in, got my Har- Carlin Hildegard shit, my 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 boots, my shimmer cake, my boleros, blah, blah, blah. The hell, I had all the wrestling magazines, so I half-assed knew who the stars were, who the promoters were, and stuff like that. So I'm basically bullshitting my way in. That's fantastic. So I had my first, I had my first match in Oklahoma, Oak, Oak Hill, West Virginia, and I'm not even fucking smart, right? Holy shit. And what a, and that's, that's a goddamn two hour fucking conversation there. But in the meantime, I meet somebody and uh, the next month I'm going to WWF TV. Now Sheik's bu- booking me for his TV. Bruiser's booking me for, uh, his expo, which he does the TV. And he booked me out to do like TV for Bob Geigel, uh, in Kansas city, Bob Geigel in St. Joe. And then, uh, uh, at the chase there. I got to work against Flair and fucking Murdoch, oh right? And I'm and I'm and I'm and I'm teaching school on the weekend. I'm teaching school, but this is on the weekend. Right. So that one that that one weekend, I worked Friday night for Bruiser in Danville, Illinois, and then I worked uh, uh, Saturday morning Kansas City TV, Saturday night St. Joe, Missouri TV. Then uh, I drive to St. Louis, me and this other guy, and I get to work against a match against Flair, and I get a, ma- a match against fucking Mulligan. Now, I got black hair and a black fucking afro, and I, I look good, and I'm athletic, and I'm 22, but I ain't worth a fuck. I'm not even goddamn really smart, you know what I mean? Yeah. But I was I was the most rotten motherfucker in the goddamn fucking world. But, what you know you know what I mean? Yeah. Fuck. I wasn't, I wasn't fucking trained or anything. And if I had got into Ganya school, who knows if I would have got – I played four years of college football, four years of fucking uh, baseball in college, and even scored two points in basketball. But fuck, this is the fucking cheeky baby was stretching those guys. Fucking Billy Robinson was. Fucking Danny Hodge was. You know what I mean? Sure. These motherfuckers would have killed me, and they could have killed. They could have fucking broke me if they wanted to. So who knows if I would even be fucking have enough fucking balls to go through all that shit? Because Buddy Rose went through here, but he he quit the first time. He said it was too hard. And then Wahoo picked him up, and Buddy worked the ring crew. He quit high school. Wahoo fucking picked him up and smartened him up. He says, buddy, goddamn, just fucking outlast these motherfuckers. They just want to see if you can take it. Then they will help you. Sure. And that's what fucking buddy did. And that's how he got in. So. So wow. you just bullshitted your way around until you were, you know, until you were good enough to, to be able to, to do it for a living. Well, I was just, everybody's got to meet somebody that takes care of, you know what right. I mean? Sure. And I had worked this old Carney guy. He booked me into work for Nick Goulas at a Christmas 
a Christmas spectacular. And I was Lanny <laughs> Poffo's tag team partner in Nashville. So we won a couple of matches that we lost, blah, blah, blah. Now, Paul Christie was this guy who was a business partner with Miser Angelo in the old uh, all-star wrestling out of Paducah in the early 70s. And he worked for Dick the Bruiser. And he told me, he said, hey, he goes, hey, Mark, my name was Mark Shira. How appropriate fucking name, Mark. Huh? <laughs> he said, hey, uh, Randy Savage is going to, him and his dad and his brother, they're, they're buying in with Emil Dupre and they're going to run the Maritime. Like I knew what the fucking Maritimes was, right? <laughs> he says, he, he goes, I think they would like you. Here's your fucking uh, calling and tell him I said that. So I called Randy and me and Randy half-assed hit it off. And I said, I'm the shit. And he just fucking laughed. And he basically said, well, we all were when we started. So that ain't, you know, I said, but I'll do as you fucking ask. I'm just not very good. You know, he said, well, I've seen some pictures. You look good. I said, well, that's going to be the highlight of the match. (laughs) (laughs) He said, don't worry. I can work around that. I said, okay. So anyway, I worked with them for four months. And then Randy got me booked into Nashville. Then he come back in when the season was over. And he broke up with his girlfriend, so I moved in with him. So that I turned heel, and I was his tag team partner. So then his dad, I wanted to get out of there, so he booked me into Mississippi for Frankie Kane, who was the great Mephisto, who, right. who had a good run there in, in Tampa for years. And Frankie named me Rip Rogers because that was Eddie Graham's name when he was uh, when he came to Texas in 1955. Oh. So Frankie Kane, Frankie Kane said I reminded him of Eddie Graham. So he made me Rip Rogers. So I was there wrestling for uh, Mississippi. Then Randy said, okay, we're going to uh, do a bunch of tapes. So I went, I left there and went back and did like 10 fucking tapes and kept the name Rip Rogers. Then they was going to hang out and get some shit going. So I went off and worked. Then Lanny got me booked for Don Owens out in Portland. So I got to work Portland, Seattle out there. Then Piper was out there. Fucking uh, Martel was out there. Doug Savage was out there, Adrian Adonis, Rotten Ron Starr, uh, all, all kind of fucking guys were out there. Salvatore Belomo, uh, Johnny Mantell, Iceman Cake Parsons was wow. out there. That's uh, a hell of a. Ed Wiskowski, uh, Jesse the Body come in. But I learned uh, the intensity shit from fucking Randy, the no nonsense shit. And then I learned how to fucking really work a different style. Uh, being with Buddy Rose. Buddy was just so fucking good. And he was like the lead heel about seven years in Portland, which is, they cycled the whole territory around the heel, which is unbelievable, right? Yeah. <laughs> but that was that was how I got in. And then, uh, then I bought in with Randy and them, blah, blah, blah. And then that's when Rue Porton, Malenko come in for a while, Perry Gibbs, all those guys come in. And then I was with Randy and him for four years. And then Garvin booked me in for fucking uh, uh, Bill Watts. And then it was off to fucking for Ron Fuller, then for fucking Ole, for then in for fucking Wahoo, blah, blah, blah. And uh, and the shit just kept going on and on and on and on and on. And see, in my mind, that's, and, and again, in my mind, that's a, a journeyman. I don't, obviously you have a different, obviously you have a different definition. But, uh, and that's why I said that. So, um. I was going to ask you uh, the best paying territory you ever worked and the worst. Probably the best, if I had to guess, uh, based on the ones you just said, was probably, if I'm, and I'm guessing right now, was probably Don Owens. Is that right? 
No, Don Owens paid you the most money for what was drawn. Okay. Because he had weekly towns like he ran Portland every week on a Saturday night, and every other Saturday was a Portland special. So you was in Portland six times a month. Then you was in Salem every Thursday. You was in Eugene every Friday. You was in uh, um, uh, Seattle every other Wednesday. You was in Eugene Medford every other Tuesday and Wednesday. So he had all these regular towns. And they were all used to a two-hour show with about a 10-man fucking card. And they didn't want real big guys or real small guys because you had, you had to pull time and work with everybody. So you might weigh 195, but they'd say you weighed 225. And you might weigh 260, and they would say you weighed 232. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So on paper, it doesn't look like a mismatch or whatever. But you, you learned uh, the styles out there. You learned we all stayed at the fucking modern whole fucking tail. And we had nothing but a good time. There was fucking rats out the fucking ass. But fucking Don would pay, Don could, Buddy Rose could work uh, on a Saturday night in Portland and make what, uh, let's just say you could have hardly any, any long trips and he could make a lot of money and be sleeping in his own bed every night. Yeah. Whereas they weren't, they weren't my, like I worked for goddamn Bill Watts. And Jesus Christ, she was going all the way from fucking Tulsa, all the way goddamn down to New Orleans, then all the way over in Mississippi, all the way over to fucking Houston, Texas. So, and a lot of those, a lot of those roads were two lane. It's like when I go to fucking, uh, we'd work Houston. I, I, I went with Ernie Ladd a lot. A lot of times I'd drive with Ernie or Grizz and, and, and we'd listen, I'd listen to fucking stories. So I go to goddamn Ernie's house in Houston. I'd stay at his big fucking mansion there. So it was. I was like a fucking kid in a goddamn fucking candy store of wrestling every day, eating good, fucking training, living the fucking dreams, not worried about the price of eggs. Didn't give a shit who was Democrat or Republican. Didn't get a fuck about the uh, how rent was going or the price of fucking gas or this fucking stock. Because who in the fuck wants to grow up? I just want to fucking play wrestler, have your lats out, and act like act like you're fucking over, you know. Nobody could say it better than Rip Rogers, folks. So we, we, well, who was, I, I guess now that you said Houston, so the best paying territory was probably Houston because everybody says Paul Bosch was the best payoff guy in the business, correct? Okay, here's what it was. At the time, Bill Watt was partners with ah. Paul Bosch. So Watt's made the payoff. So it wasn't as good as it was. Hey, Watt, you could make money, but Watt, Watt drew I remember I was on two Superdome shows there. Now you got to take in consideration. We ran New Orleans every Monday night. So one show, there was 30,000 30, people there. And another one, there was 36,000 people there. But it wasn't like WWE where you lead the fucking some of its dark for eight months, then come in. You know what I mean? It right. was, they had wrestling there. They had, uh, on the Monday, a school night and a work night. And that was their best fucking town. And, then all of a sudden, there's 36,000 people there. It'd be their fucking crew. And then uh, Fritz had his, that fucking Dallas TV was strong. And they'd book a couple matches off Dallas, a couple of matches off Ole's TBS. And then the rest was just Watts' fucking crew. So uh, I, I love working for Bill Watts. He was, he was firm, but he was fucking fair. And I remember working, uh, I remember one, one week I had 10 fucking matches. It'd be like TV, you had, you did two tapes, and some, a lot of times you work a double shot on a Saturday, 
and a, a double shot on a fucking Sunday. But every day was fucking booked. Yeah, I, as you know, I I I, I traveled at, when I first started in WCW with Pee Wee Anderson, the referee, and he got his start in Watson. He told told me all the crazy stories: four hundred miles and double shots on the uh, on the weekends. And, oh yeah, uh huh, crazy stuff. But you know, like like you, he was loving what he was doing. So that you know, that's the one thing I, I you know I I drove a lot of miles with WCW before they started flying me, and uh, the one thing you know the, the driving. You know, could suck sometimes, but uh, but if you love what you're doing, then uh, it's 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 definitely worth the aggravation. So, uh, I, I'm assuming the worst paying territory was probably the miser, Angelo. Well, you got to remember. Um, well, before we get into all that, I never got into the business. Uh, I was never worried about making money. I wanted to get better to meet people, market myself, learn different fucking styles for later. You know what I mean? Right. And as far as the, the payoffs with the goddamn miser, <laughs> we put money in. Okay. So all we did was take a salary. The boys made more money than we did. So, um, but then, like, we put money in, and then all of a sudden, we needed a ring truck. Miser would buy it. We needed some new cameras. Miser would just buy it. You know what I mean? Right. And all the guys that worked for us were guys that were young guys that needed a job, right? Or some of Miser's old friends that needed a job. And it was a good transition thing until they could get booked in, quote, a real territory. You know what I mean? Did so it, when guys, if, if guy if you was, if you couldn't get a job for four months, you come work for us for four months, then you at least broke fucking even. You know what I mean? Right. Right. I know that, uh, he had a crew, you know, that was pretty loyal to him until, until they could go somewhere else. Uh, you mentioned Bob Roop and Bob Orton Jr. Uh, Terry Gibbs, uh, Malenko, uh, always had a, a association with him as well. Hey, were you at the... Uh, at that fan fest thing that you were talking about, Roop uh, and the guy was there. Roop told the story about um, about uh, oh, I was there. the, the okay. sugar, the sugar, <laughs> the sugar hole challenge. Yeah. You, you were there. Yeah, yeah, I was there, but I did not see one second of it because the match before me and Pez had a boxing match. It was in Frankfort, Kentucky. So you know, you, you have your fucking match. You shit, shower, shave. You get fucking dressed, right? Right. And I'm not thinking anything about this because I didn't know what the fuck. Because uh, I, I, a lot of the towns I settled up in, but in that town, Miser or his wife would settle up. So I didn't ever have to go to the the office in, Frank, in, in Frankfurt. So what I was going to do, I was going to fuck work, get the hell out of there, and uh, get back, get another workout to fuck gym uh, just to get a leg up on the next day. You know what I mean? So I remember, I remember Orton coming in and saying something. There was something going on out there. Just, I don't mean, I, I don't, really I don't mean to interrupt you, but just so the uh, listeners know what we're talking about, uh, Bob Roop was doing a uh, a sugar hold, sleeper hold challenge where anybody that could get out of his sleeper hold, I think, got a thousand dollars. And the way that it was set, right. the way that it was set up was uh, almost impossible for anybody to get out of because they started basically in the sleeper hold and then he just cinched it in. And, uh, and, and for some reason there was a guy who was about five, six, one forty, 
that could bench about three, four hundred, five hundred pounds. No, 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 no. He couldn't fucking bench. That's fucking bullshit. Oh, well, that's the story. No, he was he was he was a young karate guy, flexible as fuck. You know what I mean? Right. Flexible. So you could be taking that. You could you could be taking your fucking neck and get forced down to your fucking chin to your fucking balls. And it was like a rib to him. You know what I mean? He actually mentioned but that. And he actually mentioned that at the fan fest. Okay. That's like, uh, now Bob didn't really want to fucking do that. You know what I mean? He was a baby face. Yeah, he said. Now, as a, as a, you know, and we didn't really have any set rule. You know, instead of saying, okay, now Bob might get tired or whatever, right? So we'll take whatever. So it, it was, and we never done it before. So. Like in any promotion, you're going to learn each time the mistakes you make and each time to correct it. So by the about the tenth time through, you get now you got a successful formula. Yeah. But we didn't have that, and I always rip Bob. I said, Bob, you got the greatest gimmick in the world. Nobody but you will know whether you let him out or not. He just fucking laughed. Well, but but he he owned it. He owned a piece of the territory though. So he said that, that, that was a, like, I know, uh, but but who cares if he lost a thousand bucks, that means he lost a hundred dollars. Yeah. And, and just, and just to see my pay that hundred fucking dollars, that's a, that, that'd be worth that. You know what I mean? I, I, I I actually am more, I actually, (laughs) when I heard that story, I was more shocked that, Somebody that, 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 you know, everybody says, well, you know, he got out of the sugar hole because it was like you said, the way it was set up, it was almost impossible to get out of. But I was, I was less shocked that he got out of the sugar hole, this, this kid, and more shocked that the miser ended up, and I know he was forced to kind of, but ended up paying this kid a thousand dollars because a thousand dollars to Angelo Poffo, uh, for those who, who, who don't know, I mean, he's a, he's a proud, he was a proud miser. I'm not saying anything he wouldn't well, agree with. He'd high five me. He was a proud miser, and yeah. you know, for him to, to pay a mark a thousand dollars for getting out of a hold had to be worse than death. Seriously. Well, you got to remember, I gave him the name miser. Oh, I didn't know he that. He was the carpet. Ba- yeah, he was the carpet bagger when I met him, and I said, "No, you're the goddamn miser." So people be throwing money in the ring, getting his heat. He'd be taking that money and sticking it down his boots and everything, right? <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, the thing about it was is you got to remember. He was an only child that is, and he was born where they didn't, he didn't, they didn't have running water or electricity. So he was scared to death of having nothing. So during the depression, he was born in 1925. So he's eight years old. He's at the height of the depression. You see what I mean? Right. So you got a different fucking, it's like, uh, you look at today's world. There's no fucking respect. Nobody can say anything. Kids don't know what fucking work is. You got more fucking cars and TVs and phones than you got people in the house. And we're fucked. And we're all a nation of fucking pussies. And that's all we are. <laughs> but anyway, that's my fucking political thing right there. Anyway, back to, back to the fucking thing. So then uh, uh, Bob had the sugar, uh, sugar hole thing. And then the rest was uh, fucking hearsay. I was actually there and didn't see one fucking second of it because I remember the fucking, uh, uh, we ran there the first Wednesday of every month is one of our best towns. And they said that, uh, if miser didn't fucking pay that motherfucker, they, was gonna, they weren't going to let him come back to the building. Now so he, he paid him. I got a question for you because, uh, 
word has it that back in the day, the NWA promoters would tell the guys that went and worked for the outlaw promotions that they would get blackballed if they went and worked opposition. Uh, we all know in hindsight that uh, that's kind of BS because if you had the talent, they, they, they'd take you. But at the time, you're a young guy. Did Were you worried about getting blackballed when you were working with uh, with Miser and, and uh, ICW? No, I wasn't working anyway, right? Who, who's the guys that fucking gave me a job and took care of me? It was them. There you go. And, I, and I'm thinking this thing's going to fucking take off. Hell, at, at one time, David, we ran two towns on a Saturday or three towns on a Saturday night. Really? A lot of time, a lot of times we were double booked on Friday, Saturdays and Sundays, but on two Saturdays, we actually had three towns running. We had our spot show ring. We had the Johnson city, Tennessee ring that we kept at Johnson city and the, and Plowboy Pete and the, and the ref ran it down there on the East end on the West end. We had a guy built this guy, Bill Cagle kept a ring at his house down there. So we, we had worked like Cape Girardeau, Missouri, Southern Illinois, or like, uh, uh, Western Kentucky, he would bring the ring from there. So we had access to ring. We had a lot of fucking guys. Hell, at the one time we had two midgets employed full time because we had so many towns. If not, we'd be a special fucking referee working the fucking gimmick table, uh, working as a fucking midget manager, whatever. So, Hell, we were the we were Carney's way above, or way out there. <laughs> so, so that business was good for a while, is what you're saying? Well, okay, it started out slow, then it got good. Then, uh, we we still, you know, like if you've seen the goddamn Red Sox Yankees, it's good, right? But if you take it somewhere else, they've seen that act for how many times, right? How many, you know what I mean? Uh, everybody gets fucking stale. You know what I mean? But the key, the key to the rest of the territory, we had some really great workers that worked our fucking balls off. We'd hard way each other and would go way beyond the call of fucking duty. But uh, the, the other promoters, the ones that were there first, they had the solid TV, the stronger TVs, with a solid TV time spot, like noon, one in the afternoon, we were coming on at 1230 at night. We were on a, they were on channel three. We were on channel 32. They were always on the stronger TV station. Right. But Hey, if and they had it, they had, go ahead. But if, but if it was making money, at least at some point, then you can't complain. Oh no. Finally, we started making money. You know what I mean? Yeah. Then all of a sudden, we was producing at channel 36 in Louisville. They got a new station manager. He wanted to play big shot and double our rates. So, uh, miser said, no, thank you. We went out and bought our own. Now this is about 1982. Miser went out and bought like $30,000 worth of editing equipment. And Randy studied all that shit. So now, we're doing our own TVs in me and Randy's house. Oh my goodness. That's a, we were taking and we were taking the cameras to like, okay, here's a match from Oak Hill, West Virginia. Right. Here's a match from fucking, uh, Lexington, Kentucky. Here's a match from Johnson city, Tennessee. Here's, here's, here's a match from Springfield, Illinois. Here's a match from fucking Memphis. It looked like we were half ass big time. You know what I right. mean? Right. 
Now, what it was was the production wasn't good because what we ended up doing then, David, was when we bought our own cameras, we would go to Lexington before and we would have the two-inch tapes and the three-quarter-inch tapes. We eliminated all the uh, two-inch tapes, which were the more expensive ones, and we eliminated a lot. At one time, we had like 13 TV markets, which was a lot. For sure. And we, and we eliminated a lot of those. And, uh, but all of a sudden it didn't cost as much to run. In the meantime, Mydra had bought a $33,000 ring truck. He had bought two Aveco diesel vans for like $16,000 a piece. This is about 1981. So the heels would have a van and the baby faces would have a van and nobody, nobody would burn their cars up. So when we really wasn't making money, we were acquiring shit. You know what I mean? Then there was always insurance, fucking getting rings fixed up, this and that. You had, always had different kind of bills and shit, you know. That went. And you had to run. You had to run all the time to make fucking money because you had salaries to fucking make and uh, uh, bills to fucking pay. When you left uh, uh, at, at some point, did you get anything back? Did you get a van? Did you get a uh, a TV camera? Oh, I got. I I got my money. There you go. Back. That I inv- I invested ten grand in it, and I got it back. Well, you can't argue with that. Did you Did you know back in the day that Randy Savage was, was had the talent to be such a big big star in this business? Oh yeah, but I learned right away with Randy. He says, "You know why I'm the champion?" I said, "Oh man, because you're the best. You can do all this shit. You know editing. You know fucking booking." He says, "No, because my daddy owns it." <laughs> <laughs> I want to take a moment to talk to the listeners of Sitting Ringside. As I've talked about before on this podcast a little bit, for those who don't know me, I'm kind of a vain guy, actually. And uh, about 15 years ago, I started losing a little bit of my hair on the back of my head. And uh, I was not a happy camper about it. It happens to uh, most people by the age of 35, they start losing their hair. I was a little bit older than that, but not much. So I tried all the snake oil stuff. I tried the shampoos that I paid 28 bucks a bottle for that didn't work. And then when I couldn't find anything that worked, I tried to wear a baseball hat everywhere that I went if I could and try to hide my bald spot. Now I've sort of had to come to grips with the fact that I got a big old bald spot in the back of my head. But if I would have known about 4 it all could have been different. 4hims.com is a one-stop shop for hair loss, skin care, and sexual wellness for men. And thanks to science, baldness can now be optional. And this is the real deal, folks. You get to deal with real doctors and medical-grade solutions, and it's really simple. You don't have to go to an office. You just go to their website, fill out some forms. A doctor will prescribe the product for you, and they'll be shipped directly to your door. As someone who's owned several businesses, I'm a huge believer in testimonials. I can tell you how great my stuff is. I can tell you how great this stuff is. But if you get real people, real customers that are giving you their real experience and real stamp of approval, it tells you all you need to know. Check out their website. They got tons of positive reviews and testimonials from people who have used this product, people just like you. My listeners get a trial month of hymns for just $5 today right now while supplies last. You can see the website for full details. This would cost hundreds if you went to the doctor or a pharmacy. Five bucks is less than the cost of a burger meal. Go to 4 slash Penzer. That's 4 F-O-R-H-I-M-S 
penzer.com slash P-E-N-Z-E-R, forhims.com slash penzer to get your trial month of hymns for just $5 while supplies last. What do you got to lose? You mentioned going to work for Ole. Uh, that was in 84 uh, WWF at uh, Swipe, the uh, Georgia Championship Wrestling, yep. WCW, uh, Saturday and Sunday night time slots that were so big. I remember it as a fan. Right. I remember it as a fan, Black Saturday. You turned it on. Freddie Miller right. was there and brought on Vince McMahon. You were waiting for, uh, your, your, you know, the, the, the Georgia guys. But uh, Ole, right. Ole, when Ole brought you in, he got a Saturday morning time slot like really early right. like at seven o'clock brought you in uh with right. teams you with ted oats as the hollywood blondes yeah. how was that experience trying because because they had a hard time trying to keep it going at a 7 a.m time slot how was that experience trying to keep what was uh once a flourishing territory you know going for uh you know week after week well good i got some good stories about there that. you go i'm gonna put my questions uh, down okay. and listen to your stories okay okay it's like uh I was working for Ron Fuller. I was there for 11 months. I started out as a junior heavyweight. Then Ron Fuller says, I don't know what to do with you. I said, oh, fuck, what am I doing wrong? He said, well, you're getting the most reaction, but you're not trying to. You're just working. He said, he kept, he said I'm going to keep you off TV and see what happens. He kept me off TV for six weeks. And still in the fucking house shows. Now, like I remember, we had regular towns. Right. So we had uh, uh, Birmingham on Monday, Mobile on Tuesday, Montgomery on Thursday, Spacho on Friday, Dalton and TV on Saturday, and Pensacola on Sunday. So he said, what he did was we did an angle on TV where I was too fat. And I and all of a sudden, they started, I was a little scout in territory, and they started calling me fat, though, because I couldn't make the junior heavyweight limit. You know, I'm balancing on one foot and taking my clothes, my clothes off. And, and it was called me Porky and Fatso and whatever, blah, blah, blah. But anyway, my last uh, 10 weeks, I got to work with Austin Idol. Wow. And which was, which was good for the territory because I learned to be total entertainment with Idol. If not, he was dead. Uh, I had to work, learn to cater to fucking him. And we drew big ass. But one night we was in, in Montgomery and Bob Armstrong said, Hey, Rip, he said, you and Idol got the record. I said, what? He said, you drew more than Hogan here and more than Flair here. You against Idol. And I'm like a little Mark going, holy shit. You know what I mean? He says, but kayfabe Idol, he'll want more money. <laughs> <laughs> That's but this, but this is how it was, David. And then so the last couple of weeks, I, was, I moved to Miss T's in Atlanta and stayed there. I would, but I'd make the shots. Uh, from Fuller's territory from Atlanta. Right. And when I went in, Bob Armstrong fixed it up. Only told me everything that was going on. He said, he said, I want to make you a transition champion because the road warriors are leaving and going to Minneapolis. And, uh, he created that monster with the muscles and blah, blah, blah. So he wanted more traditional workers. You know what I mean? Right. So, so I said, uh, okay. So, uh, I went into fucking Ole. Money was never discussed. He had never met me before. And he called me and he said, Bob Armstrong told me you could do the job. I said, okay, Ole, I'll be there. He says, I, I said, no, just tell me when to be there. And then, and that was it. So I had a very good relationship with Ole. Because, 
I could see that he was like Randy. Every other word he'd say was fuck, but it really didn't mean anything. And Ole could be watching the TV, doing this, doing that, blah, 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 eight things at once. And he got, he understood it all. And he was still fucking working, running the fucking office, doing whatever. And hell, a couple of times I said, Ole was supposed to get paid on Tuesday. We was on tour, right? He says, fuck, I love to, but I ain't got no fucking money. We'll have to wait till Friday. I said, okay. So I just gave paper, right? All right. And then a lot of times we'd be on the fucking, uh, we'd fly into Columbus, Ohio and get them fucking rental cars. Only had me putting some of them on my fucking, uh, my credit card. Oh, geez. <laughs> that he, he would pay me later. You know what I mean? I remember Buzz Sawyer going, God damn it, get you kayfabe around here. I said, okay, Buzz, get your own rent a car then. <laughs> <laughs> then he's looking around. He goes, oh, fuck, I better shut the fuck up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, uh, so I worked there with Ole. And then, uh, and then, Here's a Dusty story, okay? There you go. Uh, Dusty, I'd sent him a tape. Dusty called me, oh, man, I see all this shit. We can do all this shit down Tampa, blah, 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 blah. I said, oh, sorry, Dusty. Uh, I already told Ole I was coming in for him. He goes, no, but you understand? I can do this. We can do that, blah, blah, blah. I said, look. I said, I already, I already give Ole my word that I'd come in for him, and that's it. Oh, your word. So that was that was step one of getting heat with him. <laughs> so, so you go in the so he wanted you to come in and give you a big spot in eighty three, eighty four for uh, championship wrestling from yes. Florida. Right. Wow. That could I, that could have changed and, things. Well, I mean, whatever you do in life, you make a uh, you make a you do what you think is right. And I and at the time, now I'm. Uh, I'm just saying, well, I can't tell this guy I promised this guy I'd come in, right? Right. Then all of a sudden I say, oh, no, I'm going to go here because uh, I'm going to do this. And I don't believe nothing nobody tells me anyway because I already learned that. Right. And all and when people tell you you're going to make all this money, uh, sometimes it does, sometimes it fucking don't. You know what I mean? Right. So, so anyway, then uh, when Crockett took over, I had the six weeks of loser leave towns everywhere. Okay. <laughs> and then, uh, then I worked with Wahoo down in fucking Florida. We had the big super show in Miami. We had the super show in Miami and, uh, it was fucking sold out. And I worked against Bugsy McGraw. So me and Bugsy did comedy since everybody else, all the big stars from TBS and Charlotte came in. And every match, every person, every match had juice except mine. So obviously we stole the show because everybody else, you fed them chicken and they all, but all of a sudden you give somebody some hamburger, the hamburger tastes good, right? It wasn't the same old shit. So the next big show, I got left off. And I said, chief, I'm fucking left. I got left off. He said, that wasn't me. That was Dusty. Uh, I said, oh, I get it. I said, I get it. I understand. I said, well, chief, I'll see you. I'm leaving. Now, this is when I'm stupid, okay? Because I'm making fucking money. He says, no, 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 I'll pay you. I'll meet, 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 meet us down in West or in Key West the next fucking day, and we'll just keep on going. I said, man, this is stupid, but I'm just like you, chief. You told me you walked out on six in a row. He says, I'm leaving. He goes, when are you leaving? I said, I'll be gone in two fucking hours. And I did. 
Now around this so, around this time, you had hooked up. Uh, you had a valet, uh, Brenda Britton. Uh, how'd you go about meeting her? And I always wanted to ask you this: was that was was that a business relationship, or was that a, a personal relationship, or a little bit of both? We was married twelve years. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> I guess it was a personal well, we relationship. Kayfabe. We kayfabe. I, yeah, I met her. I met her in Lexington with ICW. So then she ended up working with me for fucking Fuller. And then we went to Atlanta with Ole. Then we went to fucking Tampa. Then we went to fucking, uh, uh, let me see, back to fucking, uh, she didn't work with Jared. Then I worked for Fuller again against Adrian Street. So we had the big ass program there against Adrian Street for six months there. And as soon as, as soon as I got done with Adrian, I left because I couldn't, I couldn't top it artistically you know what i mean right it was just it was just perfect. and i said everything from here's a bummer so then i went out to fucking kansas city and she worked with me there and then i, I was gonna go to calgary and she was gonna go and all of a sudden she said uh i'm tired I, i'm tired of the road i don't want to go so i said okay so i went to fucking calgary then i started everywhere else blah 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 and uh, and and the rest was history so how is calgary different from all the mostly Southern territories that you work? Well, Calgary, a lot of times they'd have like a three hour show. They would have tremendous long matches on a lot of weekly towns, but people were used to it. So they were used to having a third. I remember working a lot of matches, Chris Benoit, 30 minute matches. And then, uh, they were used to long shows or wasn't that much entertainment. So it drew good, but it was so much fun because they had the baby face band, the heel band. And of course they hated, they hated me at first because the, the Amer I was American taking a fucking Canadian's job because that's the way it was. You had to have working papers, right? Right. But Scotty McGee was out there. He was out there as Garfield Forks. And when me and him was out there, we was out running around doing everything you shouldn't be doing. And he had that goddamn stroke there at the fucking, uh, at the Mohawk gas station. He was getting, he's getting ready to gas up to go, I think it was to, to Edmonton that night. And that's when they had that fucking stroke and got all messed up and everything. Oh, that's the night it happened. And yes. I mean, we went out and we had some fun. And then the next day he says, I'll see you in the morning. He, he says, uh, I'm going to go to the gym. We got to gas up. So he went to gas up, but I guess he had a stroke. In that fucking parking lot, gassing up or whatever. Did you ever? But Calgary, go ahead. Calgary was Calgary was fun, man. <laughs> Seems like you had fun everywhere you went. I'm a little jealous. I did. I did. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, I had I had fun, but I, I I wasn't a drinker. I wasn't a smoker. I had seen guys do cocaine. Now, if you give me some free pain pills, I could take some of them, but. Uh, I was just like Eddie fucking Haskell having fun and fucking ribbing and doing other shit. You're not supposed to be fucking doing, but, uh, accused of a lot, ne never convicted of anything. So I'm innocent. <laughs> uh, did you ever have an opportunity to go to Japan? And if so, why did you, didn't you go? No. Well, I went three times. Oh, well that makes me look stupid. Go ahead. Yeah, it does. But you know, you don't need me to make you look stupid. You look stupid <laughs> on your own, right? So, well, what now? This is how the, the wrestling world uh, works. 
I used to come home and run Seymour once a year, no matter where I was at. So the last three shows I ran, we'd always did a thousand people. And, and I'm talking about with no TV, right? And it was just fucking wrestling. At the time I used Akio Sato, who was working for Jared. Right. So I went down to Louisville. So I would, what I would do is I'd give Jared a lead percent booking fee, use his insurance. Now I'd book some guys and make the, and make the payoffs. Right. So it was me and Odds Babyface Seymour, me against Tojo and or me against Sato and Tojo was the manager. So I paid them a whole lot better than normal promoters would. So Sato said, Hey, you want to go to Japan? You let me know. So this is with Baba, right? Right. So I said, Okay. So I said, Okay, whenever you can arrange it. So I'm just laughing. Then all of a sudden, uh, a couple months later, he was, I get a thing, Hey, you're booked for Baba. So I went there for Baba the first time. Now, the first night in was TV, and I was working against Hara, who I knew from the Maritime, and fucking Tenru, who's goddamn fucking like a bull, right? Right. And these motherfuckers about beat the shit out of me, not realizing that's the way they work fucking television, right? So the next fucking night, I'm working, and all of a sudden, I went into fucking queer character <laughs> and and started fucking moonwalking and, and everything, effeminate, right? And all of a sudden, uh, Joe Higuchi says, Baba say, you do that from now on. I said, I got you, boss. <laughs> so I was doing that for fucking self-preservation. <laughs> so the next tour was set up to me was to work me against Baba in the final night. So I go work a four-week tour for them, so I never lose a match. I weigh about 205. And uh, all of a sudden... The last three nights were in Tokyo. So the last three nights, he says, uh, rips on, make up, finish. I said, okay. So I get the finish. He goes, oh, no, you lose tonight. I said, I lose? I said, am I fucking stupid or what? I'm in the last goddamn match against Baba. He says, oh, no, no, no. Tonight, sold out. Tomorrow, sold out. Last night, already sold out. I said, oh, fuck. Fuck, whatever their finish is, I lose, baby. Who gives a rat that? <laughs> So I worked with fucking Bob the last night. He gave me a two thousand dollar. He gave me a two thousand dollar bonus. So I was after him, fuck. Yeah, and that was cash, U.S. And, cash money, correct? Yeah, and then uh, a couple of years after that, then then I went. Did you know Victor Quinones? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now, book. Now he was there when I was down in Puerto Rico for nine months in '89. So he called me up and said, "Hey." I want you to go work in Korea and Japan and do the queer gimmick. I said, okay, but I want you to book me in Mexico for about three months. I want to learn Lucha just to do it. Right. He said, okay. So I went and worked for that fucking wing promotion. Them motherfuckers actually put each other on fire, would hit each other with real baseball bats, real barbed wire, beat the fuck out of each other. And I was doing the queer shit <laughs> and, and was getting all the reaction, right? And I'm just shaking my head. Jesus Christ. But then what fucking little Victor did, then, then all of a sudden it was time for it to get me booked and he kayfabe me on the phone calls. I said, oh, he got me. What the fuck, right? So that was that. So I went to Japan three times. And I got asked back to go again. But I, a, a, after the first, the second time there, it was, it was horrible. I was just bored to death. He had trips. He was with the guys a lot. 
and all, most American guys, they're all fucking drinking and playing cards and whatever, blah, blah, blah. And, and I said, been there, done that on seeing this shit. So, uh, I, I, it really wasn't my cup of tea. So I have a question for you. Uh, you know, I've, I've told my story before, uh, on how I got into WCW and, um, and, and I always bring you up, uh, you and Italian stallion and Mike Jackson. Cause, uh, I, I never realized that, uh, you know, that at least back in, in the time in WCW that Jody Hamilton had, uh, sort of enhancement bookers and you, you had sort of Indiana, Ohio, uh, stallion and George South had the Carolinas. Uh, Mike Jackson had Alabama. Uh, somehow I got Florida. I don't know what happened, but as a favor to Bob Roop, which is how I weasel myself in the business. But, um, but was, is that something that j- just Jody Hamilton did in WCW, or is that like a longstanding practice in in the wrestling? That business? was that, that. That was that was everywhere. It'd be like Jody'd say, "Hey, uh, TV next week, uh, bring me bring me four fresh faces. Give me the best attitude and bodies and look as you can. But if you can't find any with that look good, give me back, you know." Uh, get, give me something. Just make sure you got four bodies. I said, okay, I got you. And then he might say, don't bring this guy back. Bring this guy back again. You know what yeah, I mean? I got that a lot. <laughs> okay, but you're just, you don't know what they want, right? Because I remember one time I brought Kane with me, right? He wrestled From Sting in Dothan. I thought he wrestled Sting in Dothan, Alabama. I can't remember. I just remember I just called him big guy and made him sit in the back. And made him shut up. You know what I mean? Just the way everybody was. Right. You know what I mean? Right. So that. So I remember one time. Hey, you're like this. Remember the fucking trans sheet we get, right? I uh, yeah. I used to hand it out. Yeah, and fucking walking man. That's fucking used dog. That fucking walking man. He walking around, staying fucking busy so nobody can figure out what he fucking does <laughs> and how he scammed his way in here. <laughs> so so <laughs> hey so man. hey, but before you finish the story. Seriously, I want I want a third and you're an honest guy, a third person point of view. What the you know, you were there almost every week when I was there. What 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 was yeah. you know, and, and junkyard dog called me walking man and he was always nice to me and you know, most of the guys were, were yeah. cool. What what were you all thinking? We uh, you know, uh I'm I'm curious, I'm brutally honest. Uh I can take it. I've been around this business for thirty years, so my feelings don't get no, hurt. No, I, I I never I never thought nothing of it i just knew i said well the wrestling business is who you know who you blow who you're related to whatever and that's the way it is i said this little fucking jew motherfucker he must have something on somebody so you better leave that motherfucker alone you know what i mean (laughs) and then dog was funnier than shit because when i was in louisiana i made a lot of dog a lot of money because i was on dog's cards you know what i mean right so i didn't give a fuck fuck i booked dogs for fucking shows Fuck, I, I sent him $200 up front, and then Pez was supposed to babysit him. He showed up, and I said, Pez, where's dog? He goes, he never showed the meeting place. I said, well, I didn't think he was. I said, it got me for 200 but what the fuck, right? <laughs> oh, shit. Oh, but anyway, it'd be like, uh, Jody needed those fresh faces for all those tapes, right? So, uh, you just couldn't keep beating the same guys as fucking much. A lot of times he'd come in, he'd say, come on in, blah, blah, blah. But I'm going to leave you off TV for, you know, 
I'm gonna leave you off TV so you don't get seen too much, so I don't. There's no complaint, you know. Oh, that one time, you motherfucker! I remember we was talking about the trans sheets, and you go, "Well, Jody, I already gave Rip a trans. Jody, give me two trans sheets, right?" <laughs> <I know. laughs> yeah, Scott Demore has know, told me similar stories to this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because because we would because yeah, so. <laughs> And then you had to be smartened up, right? Yeah. And a lot of it, a lot of it was left in between. You know what I mean? Well, you smartened me up, but I never knew that Scott Demore guy was doing that because I sort of at that point was working because I was booking Scott Demore uh, and his guys and getting a little uh, something something from Scott Demore's guys. So then I got the job as ring announcer. I st- stopped really mm-hmm. doing that behind the scenes stuff, and I get to I guess Demore picked up where I left off. And I, di- I didn't realize that uh, he t- he recently told me the story about how he's getting double trans. And I guess yeah. at one point I screwed him because I didn't realize it. But, uh, you know, yeah. me, I got heat. You didn't know no better. No, I didn't know. But but, jo- but 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 when Jody said, he says, hey, you get the double trans sheet. But he said, if, there, if there's some kind of gimmick, he said, just kayfabe it and I'll fix it. I said, OK. You know what I mean? Right. And then, oh, God, now, now you're like this. We can tell some good stories. I think the statute of limitations has been up, right? <laughs> but uh, <laughs> well, here, well, here's one thing. I used to run some de- developmental towns for Ole in Indiana. Right. So I might have like four days, right? So I'd have all the big top stars there. And uh, so I would be the promote. I'd get paid for, I'd get mileage. I'd get per diem. I was the promoter. I was the, I was the agent. I worked the first match. I got the jacket. I announced, and it was one other thing. Announced, got the jacket. Ring the bell. Ring the the bell. bell. (laughs) Ring the bell. You got paid for everything, right? So I was bankrolling good until I got damn Bischoff come in and said, I'd rather lose a quarter (laughs) of a million run the Astrodome instead of run these tank towns and people seeing we're in fucking high schools. I said, yeah, but I'm bringing back a profit. You're losing fucking money. You know what I mean? Yeah, he killed the house shows and went to Disney. Uh, but uh, so my question to you, I guess, and you sort of answered it. I think I know the answer. So was that just the Jody Hamilton thing, or is that something that would happen back in TBS and in the in the 80s and and different territories in the 70s? I think that was that was everywhere. That was everywhere. When I went to WWWF, this guy that I met in Oak Hill, he brought me and a couple other guys. And Gorilla Monsoon would say, "Hey, bring me four, bring me four guys for goddamn Harrisburg. Uh, bring me three pound, three three days for TV at the at the old building, uh, Civic Arena in Philadelphia, or something like that." Fuller would tell Mike Jackson, "Hey, bring me four guys for this. You know what I mean? Uh, uh, watch the territory. They had the guys. I would go over and do TV for fucking Fritz von Eric, or work some house shows, and like when." Uh, they they couldn't get nobody to work with Bill Masker, so they'd send me over there to work for him. Uh, they'd want me to do TV to put a couple guys over. Didn't give a shit. You know what I mean? Right. Sure, let's go. What the fuck, right? But oh, here, you, you'll like this. Now, years ago, you know how the Atlanta was always sort of fucked up in their bookkeeping. It, to make a long story short, let's say if you was on like a always said. Anytime you want to work around your house, just show up and tell them I said it's okay. If not, they can call me. Right. So a lot of times I just go to fucking towns. Somebody, and I just fucking 
and I just come in and say, oh, I'm in Dayton, Cleveland, and whatever, blah, blah, these three days, because Oli said to come. I said, uh, you want to call him? Oh, no, 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 that's okay, you know. <laughs> well, then uh, I was having some fun with that. And then Oli could say, okay, you want to work a dark match, the pay-per-view, or you want to work security, or just hang out? I said, I want the meal and just hang out. <laughs> <laughs> the pay was the same, right? Exactly. I, you know, what the fuck? So then it got to be, we could be like on, on tour with WCW and let's say, let's say you weren't there, but I signed your name the first day, David Penzer. So look, all the guys do it is turn into the payroll guy. So at the end of the week, let's say you was there eight days, you would get a check for eight days. <laughs> yeah. There were some ways to buck the system. That's for sure. Okay. Let's just say I would get, I'd be get some kickback, and then all the guys the guys would have. This was before they had the cell phones, so they were all doing the fucking uh, sex lines or whatever. So they would all put it on my number. I had everything with different guys. So uh, this guy owes me. I said, this guy owes me this much. You owe me. And they always paid right up. You know what? You know, boom, boom, boom. And then I'd tack a little to it, but so I was making money from the the. They would be on the sex lines, and they would fucking bill my phone bill that everybody's oh here's your name here's your name here's your name whatever blah 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 <laughs> so it's amazing and and all the big top stars that, that did that but uh we'll just keep it at that when, and then when then when they're dead we'll laugh <laughs> yeah actually there's 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 some guys uh I, i'll never say their names uh out loud in this yeah. forum but uh right you know that were big names that uh that that were good looking guys that uh that did some stuff that uh these days get you in a lot, a lot, a lot oh. of trouble in the Me Too movement. And, uh, shit. Yeah. When we was down there at, uh, Disney, remember they had the fucking, uh, the sex shop that I can't remember at that little town before, but I took all the fucking boys there a couple times. Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> <laughs> I, Holy. I shit. don't remember the sex shop mostly because uh, my wife used to come on those, uh, those, those trips. So. Uh, Oh well. Did you did you ever were you ever frustrated in WCW because you knew you know you, you know you had the record with Austin Idol you had you know all the all these 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 uh, territories that you you know headlined and or co-headlined were you ever frustrated that you didn't get more of an opportunity to do something or were you just happy you know you just seemed like you were happy you know having the opportunity to to scam some money off of Turner. Fuck! I was just happier as fuck to be there. I just want just put me in the game, coach. Right? <laughs> Jesus Christ! When you win, it's not real. When you lose, it's not real. You're there to you get to fucking play ball with these big timers. You know what I mean? You get to show you're as good as them, but a lot most of the time you're better than them, and you know it, and they know it. But you don't give a shit because you just want to fucking act like you're fucking. Uh, 22 with your lats out and have a good fucking time, <laughs> you know, fuck. all my matches were fucking phony, you know, fuck it. If it was a real fight, my goddamn grandmother couldn't, she could beat me probably. <laughs> so, you know, I tried to uh, fucking roof was at the Olympics. I ain't out to impress nobody. <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. These guys could, these guys could kill me in 10 seconds. So, Hey, have a good fucking time. Do as you're fucking told. And you don't have to fucking work at, uh, work the fucking uh, uh, Green Gables for the day or whatever. You know, what the fuck? <laughs> oh, you're the best. So uh, let's talk about your time as a trainer uh, at uh, OVW. How did that, how did you, 
I mean, you're a natural because of all the different styles that you know and 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 how you could work. But how did that come about? And uh, was it a was it a a was it hard? You know, coming off the road and you know not doing all those you know no sex shops and no eight hundred numbers and and no ribs and all of a sudden you're you're teaching the future stars of of wrestling. Well, first of all, when I talk fucking wrestling, I talk the way I do now. So. And I ribbed the shit out of everybody <laughs> and didn't give a fuck. And nobody ever questioned my methods. Nobody ever come down to watch me. Nobody ever told me to make this guy a baby face or a heel. But I was a real football coach. And I was into real athletics. And I was into structured bodybuilding. So I knew what dedication was. I knew what it took to get there. So I started out, I'm teaching this, I'm running the, I'm running the developmental. I'm the only goddamn there and I'm running everybody and all these fucking stars. You know what I mean? Yeah. And they're just, as ba- they're just as bad as you, me or anybody else <laughs> off the street. They have no experience. They're just a dumb fucker on steroids or a dumb guy jacked off. that was in a movie or jacked up and he's in a movie or this former soccer star or whatever. It's my job is to have uh, relax them, let them get home in a ring. And I and I I remember Roop, Roop told me this when I was thirty working for Atlanta. He said, "You really picked this shit up, and you look great, and you're young, and now you're going to have a hard time getting booked." I said, "What the fuck are you talking about?" <laughs> he said, "Now the book the bookers fear you because you're smarter than them, and they know it." I said, God damn, I'm just wanting to fucking play. I'm not wanting to be the goddamn coach. You know what I mean? He says, I know it, but everybody, everybody in wrestling is, is on, is with paranoia. That is like in the wrestling business. If you're a mask man, they bring a mask guy in, you're in trouble. Right. If, if, if Pez is there and they bring Ernie Ladd in, Pez is in trouble, right? Oh. If fucking Carlos Colon's working, they bring in another Puerto Rican. It's all, if, okay. There you are, a bleach blonde wearing pink. And they bring some other guy in where a blonde wearing pink. You're in trouble, right? <laughs> God bless you Pez. Know, God that, bless Pez, by the way. Got to say that. Oh, I thought. Oh, hey, Pez was best man at my first wedding. I didn't know we that. We were fucking partners. We did it fucking all, man. He was a great Jesus guy. Jesus fucking Christ. We had some fucking fun. We had the boxing match. Like, we had that boxing match in Frankfurt with the William Harding thing was fucking Bob Roop and the sugar hole challenge. Right. Right. He says, I said, fuck, we got to make this look at Pat said, okay, you go ahead and shoot and I'll just work. <laughs> <laughs> so we did. So I'd be trying to kill him. Right. He's just fucking laughing. But that was that. So somehow we got side. Somehow we got fucking sidetracked, but what the fuck. Right. So I wanted to ask you a couple questions. Most natural, uh, person you've ever trained in the wrestling business. Um, I don't know because a, if you're, if you're a wrestler's kid, you already know the psychology pretty much. And you're not nervous. Some guy that's never done this, they could bring you in for tryout and you're so you could be the most in shape guy in the world, but because you're nervous, you're not in familiar surroundings. You could be blown up in five minutes. So you got to look at the learning curve. You got to look at the experience factor. You look, uh, I don't judge a book by its cover. 
and a lot of the guys started out great. Then they got, then they got in, they never got any better. And some guys were horrible in the beginning. Then all of a sudden the light bulb went off. And that, that's what I was going to ask you next. Who is the least natural guy who may, ended up making it big time? Uh, I don't really want to know. I don't know because and it's like you're I not naming names. Huh? Said, right. No, I, no. It's like I would say, uh, this ain't real. So it ain't, it ain't the Olympics where the top three make the team. You could be in eighth, ninth, and tenth place, but you guys get the call because uh, somebody likes you, somebody's related to you, you look like somebody this, some bullshit writer sees something that you look like his fucking cousin. I have no fucking idea. And I said, as a matter of fact, you can uh, not get booked for looking too good. Your hair is too nice. You can woo better than this guy. You can strut better than that guy. You can do all this stuff better than the stars. So what do they do? They keep you off TV or get you fucking fired. And it happens every day of your fucking life there. So, but this is the business we chose to be in. So you got to remember that. So it's not real when you win. It's not real when you lose. And I said, ladies and gentlemen, they can make a star out of anybody. And that's all. And that's the way it is. And if I'm the boss, I will choose who I want to fucking push. It's my goddamn business. And everybody else go fuck themselves. It's my goddamn business. I know that you've 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 had a hand in training probably thirty of the top guys in the business over the last fifteen, twenty years. Here's what I'm proud of, David. That's what I was gonna ask you. What you're proud most proud of. Okay, now the guys they chose to train, that's no big deal. I got sixty three guys jobs that walked through the doors that weren't the chosen few. You know what I mean? I know exactly what you mean. That 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 actually came okay. that actually had to come in through the front and not get a WWE sponsored. Yeah. And they weren't getting paid to do this. Right. Some guys was well that's like uh Serena D. She's working at the piece, at the performance center in Orlando now, right? Right. I had her with, and she was 18 years old. She was going to college and had three fucking uh, part-time jobs to get by. Now she's back to the performance center. But 63 motherfucking guys got their fucking foot in there and got some kind of contract. Some of them kept it. Some of them fucking didn't. You know what I mean? Some of them, most of the guys would fuck up because they weren't used to being in the, in the big time and they get fucked up on drugs or get drunk and they'd make a fucking they make an example out of it, so everybody be walking on uh, pins and needles. You know what I mean? And that's, and that's the way it was. But I pretty much do the same thing I do now is what I did then. And uh, I treat everybody the same, like shit. <laughs> but I'm not there to be your buddy. No, I'm there I'm there to, to hopefully uh, get your job. You know what I mean? And uh, I'm tough. I'm fucking firm, and uh, you will do a fucking hour called in the fucking ring. You're not going to do like these motherfuckers are, are today, lining your spots up. I've never been to goddamn ring in my fucking life to go over a fucking match. I cannot fucking believe it still. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, like when you had, that's, what, it, that's what it is now. That's what it, whether, you like right. it, whether you like it or you hate it, you right. know, whatever you think of it, that's what it is. You know, it's just yeah. a fact. I'm not insulting anybody. Right. That's what it is now. Yeah. No. When I was in a TNA and Impact, you know, I walked into the mm-hmm. Impact Zone 
and everybody's going over their match with the agent. So it's not like, you yeah. know, not like they're doing it on right. their own. Right. Okay, now, can you, can you think of this? An agent. An agent. An agent. I go, and I said, oh, get over. Put this guy over. I said, you want to register? You want to sell? How strong you want? It's my job to know all that shit, right? Right. It's my job not to step on anybody else's toes. It's my job not to nick anybody's stuff that they're fucking doing to be fucking different. Watch the other goddamn matches. You know what I mean? It's a, it's a to in all, in all, in, in a little bit of defense, it's a totally different entity now, Rip, because, you know, they, they, they need to, they need the agents to tell them when they're, you know, when they're doing this move and, 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 and the agents tell the wrestlers, well, you know, after you do this move, we're going to show a, we're going to show a, a quarter screen uh, replay. So don't do another big move until we're done with the replay. And then, so the agent tells the referee in his ear, the referee tells the rest. It's, it's, it's a production like, like it wasn't when you were in Paducah, Kentucky. And, you know, right. it, whether you like it or you don't right. like it, it, it's just changed, you know. Right. It changed. And, but the big rib is, uh, we, they go to New Orleans twice a year and do what we did every week. They go to Memphis twice, a, twice, a, twice a year and can't even draw with Jarrett would draw on a Monday night, on a regular Monday night. You know what I mean? 52 times a year. Absolutely. You know, and then and for TV, all we're going to do is paper the town, get the camera angles, put the fucking uh, canvas things to cover all the fucking seats, gimmick the fucking angles, do this and that. But like I tell everybody, I said, if you can, like I had matches Sunday, and I said, no, no I'll say you against you, you're a baby face heel, call it. You're going 15, go. You watch the other matches, okay, whatever they did, don't do it, go. And I throw them in the water. And you learn to work sure. because if you can do mine, if you can do mine, it's uh, a thousand percent easier or it's a thousand percent harder. And then when you get to the other stuff, it's a hell of a rib. Yeah. No, I'm nodding my head as you speak. Cause yeah, if you could, if you could jump in the water and, 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 and do it, yeah. do it without the production and the, the spots and all that, then, <laughs> then, then the rest is gravy, man. When you finally get there. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, uh -huh. I love following your Twitter, uh, you, you 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 put out honest messages about uh, to to aspiring wrestlers. Uh, well, if you had to, you've done a lot of that today today already on the podcast. But if you had to give out one message to uh, current aspiring wrestlers uh, to sort of get it, uh, get the business, what would it be? A, it's not real. Don't take anything fucking personal. Don't try and be the next Undertaker or Shawn Michaels. They've seen that act. Be different. They're looking for something different. And anything old is new again. Because if they're catering to kids, you got new fucking kids every so many fucking years. But just think how good you had to be as a goddamn champion years ago. Like if you was a Dory, a fucking Terry, a Jack fucking Briscoe, a Harley Race. You have to be able to go an hour every night, sometimes a baby face, sometimes a heel, with some guys you hadn't even really seen before. Right. That's how good you had to fucking be. Absolutely. And people say, oh, they won't people say, Oh, they won't watch today. Well, I said, Well, people will watch today. You'll sure as hell watch a fifteen round boxing fight because the announcer is there pushing the fight and nothing else. It's excitement. They will you will buy anything if it's shoved down your throat. You're talking about the fucking diva search and the fucking cruise 
and a pay-per-view, uh, the next six fucking pay-per-views and whatever they're talking about, blah, blah, blah. You don't give a shit about fucking wrestling. If they push wrestling, you buy wrestling. If they push a top wrist lock, you buy a top wrist lock. As Barnett would say, TV, TV's my star, my boy. <laughs> Whatever, whatever's pushed on goddamn TV, you will fucking believe it as fucking gospel. They could take you, David Pincer, and make you the fucking, the world's smallest strong guy, and you could outmuscle everybody and make them give up to a full Nelson or whatever. That's true. And after about 10 weeks, people would start fucking Ronnie Garvin. All of a sudden, he had the hands of stone, right? <laughs> For fucking 30 years before that, he couldn't bust a grape, right? <laughs> and actually bought him about an extra 10, 15 years on his career. Right, but uh, TV will make a star out of anybody. They make your break you, and if you ever get a job, treat every minute, live every minute of it because they can end it for no fucking reason, and you're shit out of luck because there ain't no place to go anymore, and that's fucking it. And uh, that's that's uh, Rip Rogers, folks. You get what you you get what you get, and uh, I knew this was going to be a blast. Hey. Uh, be sure to follow him on Twitter at Hustler2754, at Hustler2754. I, even if you're not a, even if you don't want to be a wrestler, if you're an aspiring wrestler, I definitely recommend it because the advice that you give is, is invaluable. But even if you're just a student of the game, a, a mark like me who loves the business and wants to learn about what the business used to be like, uh, uh, I, I encourage you to, to, to follow him and, uh, and it's been a blast, Rip. I appreciate it. I, I, I hopefully, uh, I, I was going to say I'd love to see you down the road and buy you a drink, but you, you said you're not a drinker, so uh, yeah, I still don't fucking drink. You know, well, you, use that fucking uh, that walking man power persuasion, and so, get somebody to bring my ass into that fucking one of them goddamn Tampa things sometime. All right, we're going to work on it. We're, we're, yeah, I put the, I put the I put the heat on you right there. <laughs> you can edit it if you fucking want. I'm not, I'm not editing a word of this. This is all going out word for word, fuck for fuck, and goddamn, there's a lot yeah. of them. And, uh, and 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 the reason is, and the reason is, is because this is how every, most everybody in the wrestling business talked in the 70s and 80s. This is yeah. Jim, Jim Ross yeah. talked this way. Jim Cornette talked this yeah. way. Art Anderson talked this way. Uh, you know, this is how everybody talk. Every fucking third word was a fuck. And, you know, yeah. you could say, and you could say, hey, fucking Jew bastard walking around with a fucking, uh, yeah. with a sign in sheet. Where the hell he come from? Who does he know? And, yeah. and, and you can say that, and nobody gave a shit, you know, and, and, and it's a, oh. it's a different world. And I'm not gonna, it's not my place to say if it's better or worse. I have my own opinions, but I don't discuss that on, on this podcast. But, uh, but that's how it was. So <laughs> I want, if, if, yeah. if nothing else, I want people, that listen to this podcast and people who, who may not listen and, but I'm going to promote the heck out of it. And, uh, hopefully you will too, uh, on Twitter. Once, once it goes live, I'll let you know, but, uh, on Monday, but, um, uh, but I want people to realize that this is how the business was. This is how the guys talk. This is how the guys acted. This is, this is how we killed the time in the back. And this is how we drove down the road, uh, you know, playing ribs and telling stories because there were no, cell phones and internet and anything like that. You know, you had either the radio that, that would go in and out of different stations every 10 minutes, or you told stories and you played ribs. Uh, the fucking, the fucking cars is where you learn the business, man. <laughs> That's like, I'd be stuck in the fucking car and I'm in the back seat in the middle because I was the big greenhorn. Everybody else is talking and they'd ask me a question. I'd say something before I'd answer. I said, just shut the 
fuck up. You're an idiot. We, as soon as you open your mouth, you're going to be an idiot. And I said, I know. So I just shut up and listen. And everything I learned in the business, nothing was really explained to me. A lot of it was just monkey see, monkey do. And I'd watch this guy, how he would do it. And then you'd finally figure this shit out. And, but, but I remember like being in Portland, I'd ride with the Bushwhackers and Buddy Rose every day, right? <laughs> so we're just fucking telling stories, fucking ribbon. I'm shitting in a goddamn uh, glass jar so they'd, they'd act like I was farting. So we'd be, they'd be smoking, eating their marijuana cookies, smoking fucking dope, <laughs> going down the fucking highway, playing the fucking music, fucking singing. And all of a sudden, I'd pull that thing out and put it in the back of Bush's head. Oh, my God, mate. Oh, you fucking shit, you fucking bad. Blah, blah, blah. And buddy, give me the Iggy. Ten miles later, I'd pull that some bitch that fucking uh, that glass bottle full of fucking that uh, that stuff you'd put preserves in or whatever, and put that fucking that shit down on it. Oh, it's just funnier than fuck. I wasn't oh, gonna bring. Fuck, I wasn't gonna. Was just, I wasn't gonna bring that jar up. But that was uh, that was something you were definitely famous for. I think Sid Vicious almost almost lost it one time in uh, in. No, no. Let me let me tell you the story about that <laughs> because. His, this is what really fucking happened. Uh, you know how Sid was such a presence and a character, right? Sure. And like, like you're, like you're, like out. you're not. But go ahead. I know, but this guy, <laughs> this guy looks like a killer, right? Sure. So he was, he was picking on a couple green boys, and they were scared. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I said, "Come here, you big fat fucker!" And remember how uh, DDP used to have those? Uh, what were them candy bars? Uh, they look like Tootsie Rolls, but they were protein, the health bars. Oh, I don't know anything bars. about protein bars. I'm a non But anyway, I palmed one, and I acted like I shit in my hand. And fucking Sid thought I'd fucking shit in my hand was going to put a fucking turd in his face. <laughs> I remember. So take off running down. He came out yelling okay. and screaming. Yeah. Uh-huh. That motherfucker shit in his hand. He's crazy. With yeah. that southern accent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that was Dothan, too. Or maybe I just call everything Dothan. Uh, I can't fucking remember. But hell, it's like I, was, I remember I was riding with Bulldog Bob Brown. So we get into fucking Bridgewater, Nova fucking Scotia. So I went to the hotel and I got these little peanut butter things. Uh, peanut butter uh, things. So I put it on the fucking toilet. I said, Bob, look at this shit. Somebody shit over here. These motherfuckers. So I took it with my fucking finger. I held my fucking nose and put it in my fucking mouth. Brown <laughs> oh, and, he's, and he's puking, right? I can't. Uh, uh, and I, uh, all I did was put peanut butter in my mouth, right? And he thought I put shit in my fucking mouth. Oh, uh, you could have. But anyway, I just fucking. You could have fun with Bobby. You, you, you could have fun with Bobby eating like that. Oh yeah. Uh huh. <laughs> God, anyway, God bless Bobby. Yeah, Oh, fuck. Hey Rip, thanks so much for jo- hopping on, man. It's been a blast from the past, and uh, and and great stuff. And uh, again, uh, uh, I, uh, Hustler twenty seven fifty four on Twitter. Uh, it, it is an education from a guy who's uh, who's lived uh, many generations of the business and taught uh, many of the stars that you uh, that, that you watch at WrestleManias uh, today. So. Thank you so much, man, and uh, definitely stay in touch, and we'll we'll try to figure something out on that that, that Tampa gig. Yeah, put that put the heat on fucking Barry to get my fucking <laughs> ass down there, or whatever. Now, what it is, I want you to make me. A bit, I want the option to say no. 
You know, I mean, it's always, oh no, I can't. I got, I got too much shit going on. You know, well, uh, you know, stuff like well, that. Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, ha- anyway. I'm gonna have him play this, put, put uh, uh, link this podcast uh, to his championship wrestling from Florida archives page. And when people hear the stories that you tell, then hopefully we'll be able to get you down and do maybe like an after party uh, at one of these things where you sit around and talk and tell stories and answer questions for two hours or something after the fan fest. Because I think it'd be a blast just based on on the, the, the hour or so we've had here. But uh, we'll keep in touch. Oh, we'll keep in touch. And uh, and best of luck to you. Uh, and uh, and we'll talk soon. Been my pleasure talking to Walking Man. Thank you to Rip Rogers. Did I tell you, ladies and gentlemen, did I tell you uh, he still has a fanny pack and uh, he's proud of it and uh, he tells it like it is and he likes a word that starts with F and rhymes with duck and uh, many, many, many people in the wrestling business, uh, as we mentioned during that interview, say it every three words. It's actually amazing to me that some of the guys who say that word every three or four words uh, that they say then go on TV, whether as an announcer or as a, as a cutting promos uh, and, and, and never, never once in their career of 30, 40 years have dropped an F-bomb on camera, but then, you know, they put the microphone down and it's, uh, how's that fucking promo? Does it fucking sound good? You know, uh, excuse my French, but you know, that's what it is. So it's amazing that they that they're able to turn that switch on and off. But he is uh, what he what he what he is, and uh, I hope you found it entertaining. I certainly did, uh, and get a little insight into uh, the wrestling business in the seventies, eighties, and early nineties, and 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 a, a portrait of a guy who didn't really care about the money, didn't really care about the fame. He just loved doing what he was doing and uh, enjoyed every day to the fullest. And uh, uh, I, uh, again, if you want to follow him on Twitter, uh, if you're an aspiring wrestler or a, a, a fan of the business, I would stress that you do. Uh, it is, and I'm waiting for it to pop up, at Hustler2754, Rip Rogers, at Hustler2754 on Twitter. So uh, he, he tells it like it is, honestly. And like he said, he throws two guys in the water, uh, doesn't let them call a spot, and, and lets them learn the hard way. And Could you imagine if you do that for six months or eight months and get go to NXT, how easy it is uh, when you get to go over things. So uh, an honest guy, a brutally honest interview from a brutally honest guy and a good friend and uh, an old-timer for sure. So I want to thank Hustler Rip Rogers uh, if you are interested we had Al Snow on uh, a couple of months ago who bought Ohio Valley Wrestling. Rip Rogers is still the head trainer. As you heard, he bragged about the guys that came in through the front door that he got jobs uh, for WWE. And so if you're an aspiring wrestler and uh, if you want to learn more about Ohio Valley Wrestling, be sure to Google Ohio Valley Wrestling between Al Snow and Rip Rogers. Uh, you got two guys with about uh, 80 to a hundred years of, uh, uh, of, of insight to the business of eyes beyond anybody's time. So, uh, I, I, I definitely recommend it. And, uh, I want to thank once again, Hustle Rip Rogers for sitting ringside. Uh, we're going to keep on rocking and rolling. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter as well at David Penzer at Penzer ringside. And, uh, just keep, uh, if you like this episode, let me know. 
if you didn't like it, you can let me know as well. As as you see in that interview, I don't think you're going to hurt my feelings. Until next time, this is David Penzer, still City Ringside. Take care, folks. Follow David Penzer on Twitter at David Penzer. Also, make sure to follow the show on Twitter at Penzer Ringside. You've been sitting ringside with David Penzer on Radio Influence. This is a Beyond the Badge with Vincent Hill Quick Fix on Radio Influence. Fort Walton Beach, Florida, and uh, there's been an uproar again of uh, claim of racial profiling by police and uh, uh, having the police being called simply because you're black. And this video. Uh, that was posted by uh, a woman named Tamara Earl on her Facebook. Had 105,000 views, 3,800 shares, 750 reactions. Most of those about the racism that they experienced at this Waffle House and how these white police officers were wrong. And the same narrative we always hear. The officer used the very first step in the use of force continuum. Verbal commands. He actually... Gave them every opportunity. All you got to do is pay your bill. You can hear that in this 22-minute body cam video. Whether you want to argue about $2.50 for orange juice, fact is, you have to pay your bill. Beyond the Badge with Vincent Hill can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and RadioInfluence.com.